Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Listening to a podcast from the Word. Yeah, rolling. In the words that Bob Dylan addressed over the intercom to Bob Johnson in Nashville in 1969, is it rolling, Bob? <laughs> Thereby highlighting the true role of the producer in making a record. To ask those questions. Well, to to you know, I was talking to a record producer the other day who said that the only thing he felt a record producer should do is listen to the performance and then turn around to check that it's recording. Okay. You know, his job is to be there to witness magic, to recognise magic when it occurs, and to just make sure that, that everything's being done to capture it. Okay. The, and to, to make, so his job basically is to choose which take is the... Is well, the I suppose yeah, that, that's the old, the ancient, traditional function of the producer, which has been very much changed um, yeah. in, in the modern era. Of which a great deal more in weeks to come, actually, because I, I did this in the course of writing a big thing um, for the upcoming issue of The Word. I'm David Hepworth. You are, and you are, young Fra- man. I'm Fraser Lurie. And here we are in a new acoustic. Um, it's slightly more comfy. We've got a table and so forth, but it's a bit echoey, for which we apologise in advance. But, you know, everything's slightly different. Beggars can't be choosers. It should carry a hint of the room. And, and immediately before starting this podcast, we actually twittered... Uh, for people who had questions that they wanted to address to the mighty, throbbing, collective brain of the word, which this week is you and me. Um, Graham Slate is thinking about the forthcoming Peter Gabriel album of cover versions with orchestra. Orchestras in rock, he says, good or bad? What do you think of Fraser? I'm trying to think of a good example. I can think of bad examples. There's the Deep Purple example, there's the Metallica (laughs) example. There's also orchestras not necessarily playing classical forms. You know, orchestras on Live and Let Die by Wings and so forth. There's, yes, there's and I saw, um, all over the place. I saw Joanna Newsom do a gig with the uh, LSO, which was ex- extraordinary. And uh, somebody I know uh, vaguely as, as a double bass player in the LSO, and I spoke to him afterwards, and he said that she was the most extraordinary musician they'd ever worked with. 
Because just in a, from a completely different tradition. Yes, absolutely. Just... And they, they, didn't, they couldn't figure out how it was she did what she did. She played harp in a completely different way to a classical harpist. And as well as that, she was singing at the same time, of course. And I watched the, one of the most interesting music documentaries I've ever seen. I saw a few months ago. And I think it was on BBC or Channel 4. And it was basically on the road with the Berlin Philharmonic. Right. Who are arguably... It's Simon Rattle, isn't it? Simon Rattle. Arguably the greatest you know, uh, classical band in yeah. the world. And talking to the musicians, who are immensely candid about what they do, you know, that their job is to... They don't see themselves as creative artists. They see themselves as a brilliant reproducers. Well, they're, they're slaves to the conductor, aren't they? I've got a friend who's in a Kensington chamber orchestra, which is a slightly smaller, non-professional orchestra, but of a good quality and they have a different conductor each time, and they're completely slaves to what he wants to do. I suppose they're also slaves to the piece, aren't they? Yeah. If you're doing Beethoven's Sixth, you know, they don't want your improvisation. No. They don't want your ideas on no. it. <laughs> you know, you're, you're doing the piece, exactly, you know, so, yeah. so it's discipline above all. Yeah. So I suppose in that sense, if you throw them in with someone like Joanna Newsom, who appears to follow her own lights, yes. that's, that's bound to be a real surprise to them. So, yeah. you know... Um, that's what we think about the new Peter Gabriel album. Actually, I spent yesterday writing a long review of the Peter Gabriel album, again for the next issue of Word. Uh, it comes out, as ever, on the second Thursday of the month. I see he's playing in, uh, at the O2 in March. I think it's in March. And the posters make it absolutely clear. <laughs> it says, Peter Gabriel, orchestra, no guitars, no drums. Right. You know, which... Will, will he have his bicycle? His what? His bicycle. Yeah. If, you, if you look on YouTube, there's this fantastic footage of Peter Gabriel doing Salisbury Hill at some gig in the round. And he gets out a little bicycle and rides around the stage in a circle whilst singing the Salisbury Hill. And it's magical. While actually singing, not, and just, it, it not works. just miming. It's beautiful, you know. yeah. Oh, really? I don't think this will be as lavish as that. I think he's probably passed by that stage of the kind of highly theatrical yeah. um, presentation. It's quite recent, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, so, you know, if you're going along to hear, I don't know, orchestra, you sort of want the... You, you, I'm like this. You're kind of hardwired to want the relief that drums and guitars provide, yeah. aren't you? You know, you might well be fine with an hour of orchestra, but at some stage, it's kind of part of the rock concert experience that there will be a release. Yeah. Aren't there? You know, even in the most formal circumstances, there will be some kind of head-banging moment. Exactly, yeah. But that's not going to happen there. We forgot a couple of weeks ago to talk about the, the guy, uh, the heavy metal musician who sustained the head-banging injury. Do you oh, this that? is the guy from Slayer. Tom, is it Tom Araya, I think? Or maybe one of the other members, I'm not sure. But he'd, uh, he'd done his neck in through years of repeated head-banging. I think it was his back, actually. Is it his back? And yeah, they cancelled the tour as a result. It's something like this. He's got such long hair, and clearly one of the major uh, high points of their gigs is that he, you know, he makes his curtain of hair waft back and forth in extraordinary fashion. Well, and you imagine this would hurt you. Absolutely. Talking as a, a teenage headbanger, I know that you can develop a very sore neck for an evening out of the youth club headbanging to Rainbow and uh, Dio and that kind of thing. So when you were, you know... I'm glad I still don't do it. He's been doing it for 40 years or something. Yeah, he's been doing it professionally. Don't try this at home, kids. Um, So when you were a headbanger, did you regularly get injuries? No, just a a soreness and a stiffness, I guess. Right, right. 
What else? Have, uh, our man wants to know, can you do it without mentioning Bruce Springsteen? Well, we well, were no. going to until you said that. Um, somebody wants to know, Rob Ram wants to know, who's, who are our favourite spoken voices? Good question, Rob Ram. Uh, my favourite spoken voice is Jim Carter, who nobody will have heard of. But he's a, no, somebody will have heard of. He's a married to Imelda Staunton, and he was in Brassed Off, and he has a very deep, rich Yorkshire brogue, beautiful voice. You can go and look him up on, uh, no doubt, you listen to him on, uh, on YouTube. I'm sure you can, but it is the kind of voice you can melt into. And my, one of my favourite, uh, voices, I have to go away, Rob Ram, and actually, you know, prepare a proper list, because I've got loads of voices I really like. You know, radio voices like Fee Glover. I, lo- I adore Fee Glover's voice. You know, the, the old the old saw is if the Fee was reading the washing instructions on your duvet, you'd be perfectly happy you know, <laughs> just to listen to that. But And uh, I went le- last week to see Invictus, in which Morgan uh, Freeman... There's a voice. There's a voice. Impersonates Nelson Mandela. There's a voice. So you've sort of got the, got the one on the top of each yeah. other. You know, both did it work? Immensely comforting. It's a, I mean, it's a really good impression of him, you know, no doubt about it. I can't work out from the posters. looking at the posters on the tube this morning. And they show Matt Damon, who plays Francois Pinard, the South yeah. African rugby captain. They show him face on. But Nelson, Morgan as Nelson, you only see him from behind. Now, I don't know whether they, they thought this might be some, some kind of disrespectful act to, right. to actually have a picture. Use him in an advert. I suppose he may actually that may be it. Yeah. Maybe they're not actually allowed to mention him. You know, he's probably he's probably a brand protected is, by all yeah. kinds of all kinds of things. But you know, it's it's a very good impression. You know, Morgan Freeman's got that. He's got huge presence himself. He has that gravitas. He's got the, got the gravitas. But the person, one of my favourite voices in the world, was stilled this week, about a week ago. Bill McLaren, the rugby. Oh, of course, yes. Who died? Yeah, and um, and you know, and he, he was adored by everybody who liked TV sports and particularly people who liked rugby. Yeah, you know, Scottish, and you know, for years he was the he was the voice of the the Five Nations, as it was in those days, or the Home Internationals, or, or whatever. And uh, in all the tributes, I was very struck by the fact that people were always trying to think of really interesting things he said, and actually, no disrespect. He didn't say all that much that was immensely interesting, but it was the voice he said it Yeah, in. it was completely the voice. It's yeah. completely the voice. And if I hear that voice now, it's 20 to 5 on a, on a Saturday yeah. in February, and it's dark, you know, <laughs> yeah. outside. It's getting dark outside. And, uh, and there's a cup of tea and possibly a cake on the go. There's not many voices that do that. And with my dad, you know, you know what I mean? And, yeah. it, and, you know, in front of you there's some... You know, muddy encounters being <laughs> played out by a bunch of amateurs, as yes. they were mainly in, in Bill McLaren's day. And he just had that voice that could take you back. It's, it's like John Arlott, um, you know, cricket commentator. He didn't say that much that was that memorable. No. But it was that voice. It was completely the voice, yeah. It was the voice just contained cricket. Yeah. You know, it entered into it. It was all it. there. It was all there. It's extraordinary, because it's, it's a relatively young art, isn't it? Commentary. Yes, I guess so. You know, because they used to, um, they only kind of invented it after the war, didn't they? Oh, that, yeah. It's always interesting me, if you look in the early days of broadcasting, I think I'm right in saying this, people who are listening to this who work in broadcasting might be able to supply more detail. But 
It was a long time after the, after the invention of radio before they first had the idea of doing sports commentary. Right. Which now, when you think about it, it seems like, seems like the thing it's built for. Yeah. You know. But it never really occurred to them to do it. They were too busy doing broadcasting you know, theatrical performances direct from theatres and so forth. And, um, and Ronald Reagan got his start, didn't he, that got him into the acting game because of his ability to, to um, describe football games. I think they were football games. Right. But he was doing them from recordings. I don't know how. Yeah, being Californian, there would have been football rather than baseball at that time, yeah. But they weren't doing them live. Yeah. <laughs> and so afterwards, he could kind of create this, create the impression that he'd been there. But like McLaren, it's, it's about, the good ones are all about you making you feel nostalgic for something. You're not really quite, quite sure what. I, I listen to, um, at home, I listen to 1950s baseball recordings. Oh, really? Which are beautiful. And you can, it's for the Brooklyn Dodgers and that kind of thing. And it's so atmospheric. And you can kind of wander, feel like you're wandering around New York in 1957 with this commentary coming out of every stoop. You know, it's magic. So you listen to old commentaries. Old commentaries, Long gone yeah. games yeah. that were never recorded, you know, the, 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 no film or anything Absolutely, like that. Absolutely, yeah. So you've just got the, the commentator's word for it. So it's, you know, it's, it's Jackie Robinson and all that kind of stuff. So it's history in the making. Oh, well, absolutely. I'd love to be able to hear some old uh, test match commentaries from the 50s and 60s. I don't know if, you know, everything else turns off the internet. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's surprising that, uh, that that hasn't done so yet. Uh, another question from Shark Traeger uh, says, Why the hell is life such a roller coaster and not even a cool one? More like one in a temporary fairground. Do we have an answer to that? I, I don't have an answer no, to that. No, I don't. Think. I think Shark, you're probably suffering from something we we're discussing in the office just now, which is today is the low point of sad seasonal affective disorder isn't it but isn't this wasn't this this whole uh, scientific inverted commas theory invented by a scientist who'd been employed by a holiday company <laughs> who, <laughs> really? who, yeah i believe so who this holiday company had figured out the date on the year that most people people were most likely to spend money on holidays and it's basically after christmas getting back to work january oh i feel like a holiday and so they came up with this employed a scientist to do some magic with maths to show that this particular day was sad and therefore you needed even more than you did before to buy yourself a holiday. Well, listen, I take my hat off to the person who did it, bogus though it may be, because it allowed us all to say, you know, saying I feel a bit down is a bit pathetic, isn't it? Whereas if you say, oh, I feel a bit sad, seasonal affective disorder, you're kind of excused, don't you? It's kind of a general human condition. So that's what I think think Shark Traeger is suffering from today. Alex Wootar wants to know, do baby pigeons actually exist? Fraser, you're our our nature correspondent in this regard. It's about the same size, but fluffier is the way they strike me. Okay, right. Gagarin uh, wants to know... Is there a record more devoid of human passion, lust, anger, wit, etc., than the latest Vampire Weekend offering? Ooh. Haven't heard it. I thought it sounded all right. Not, not everything has to have lust, anger, and wit. For You know, I don't know. ABBA haven't got much lust, or anger, and wit, have they? No, they but it's no. absolutely fine. Um, Helen and Ollie, who I think... Do, do a podcast called Answer Me This... Say, responded to the fact that I asked for a question by saying, hold on a minute, that's our format. We're in the wild west of the internet here. There is no such thing as a format. 
Otherwise, we'll be running around to the Media Guardian podcast and asking them why they pinched our idea about what have you read this week? Exactly. What have you learned this week? You know, and we're not, we're not doing that. We're not doing that at all. Um, I can't read that. People have strange screen names that I can't even read. Likativo or something. Could God take a free kick so good even he couldn't save it? That's good. Well, he's everywhere at once, so he'd save it. He's omniscient and he moves in mysterious ways. Paddy Hoey, I think, has been going about bumping into word writers out in the street. Okay. Because uh, Paul Denoy last week went to interview Tony Visconti. The producer. The producer of David Bowie and Mark Bolan and loads of other people. And uh, I think Paddy must have bumped into Paul in a pub or something. Because he says, brilliant chat with Paul yesterday about the Word magazine piece on Bowie producer Tony Visconti. Worth subscribing in itself. So, <laughs> we like him. Yes. <laughs> so Paul's going, Paul's going around doing his stories live yeah. to people, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Testing them out before he writes them down. But listen, that's never a bad thing. We always used to say that about, you know, people, people come back to the office. Having done an interview. Having done an interview. You know, the most dangerous thing in the world is that they tell you they tell you what's happened. And then they don't write it for two weeks. Right. Two weeks later, they've forgotten what happened. Yeah. Really. And you get a fairly dry recreation of the thing. Whereas if people write it while it's hot, yeah. A, it's easier, uh, and B, it's just more immediate and more, more vivid. And so the stuff they would have told someone, you wouldn't believe this, that's the stuff they've got to capture. Yes, well, it's, it's honestly, you know, people always complain about... Oh, you're only interested in what socks people are wearing. Well, the fact is, every journalist is really interested in what socks people are wearing, actually. Interested in any, any little detail about, yeah. you know, when, where, how people were dressed, what they said, their kind of pleasantries, their manner, the, what they were eating, did they take a phone call? Because actually, the stuff that people tell you when you put formal questions to them is in a lot of cases just propaganda. Yeah. The stuff that you learn is very often the stuff they don't tell you. It's the stuff you just, you know, you just see from, from observing, from being there, which I would suggest is the kind of thing that if the readers were in the same position, they would, uh, they would think the same thing. Talking to the readers, we've had a major breakthrough on the Spotify playlist front this week, can yes. we face it? Tell it there, there must be some people out there who haven't seen this heard it or taken part in it and explain it we created on friday a, a one hit wonders spotify list with the uh, the only instruction being that it should be good one hit wonders so it just wasn't it wasn't a place to list charlene and uh, joe dolce and all the terrible one hit wonders <laughs> it was a place to put the stuff he liked and it's been a triumph there's over 500 tracks now it's just that's it, great you listen to it and it's all good it's that's the extraordinary thing we had it playing in the office all friday afternoon i was playing it this this weekend and uh, loads of people were um were responding over the weekend you know about how how amazing they thought it was and i should point out first of all actually that charlene is on this yeah, list, I know. Fraser, along with you know just to give you a, give you a smattering of the ones that have been suggested by various members of the massive uh, Andrew Gold's Lonely Boy. Beautiful song. Bob and Earl's Harlem Shuffle. Nice. With the greatest opening chord in the history of popular music. <laughs> yeah, so, so great it's been sampled on a, on, you know, on a million hip-hop records. A great hip-hop record. House of Pain, Jump Around. Yeah. There is no situation in which the, the playing of House of Pain doesn't 
House of Pain doesn't just completely lift the whole room. It makes you want to jump around. It does. Who are they? Who were they? They're, I think, Boston, I think, um, white and Anglo-Irish or that. Yeah, there were some of that, yeah. weren't they? Did they do anything else? I thought they carried on for ages, but yeah. I don't think they did anything but else. But dear God, that record. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, actually, that's extraordinary. House of Pain, does it begin with a chord from Harlem Shuffle? I think it does. Oh, that's spooky. Fraser, look. <laughs> There's those lists. I've underlined on that page which one? Bob and Earl. Home I've Shuffle. underlined on that page which one? House of Pain, jump around. <sighs> Blimey. And the second record begins with the opening chord of the first one. I picked those out of this huge list. Ketty Lester's Love Letters. Yep. Love Letters Straight to Your Heart. See, it's, it's the lack of baggage with these things that makes them work, I think. It's, it's, you don't get that terrible male reaction when you play a one-hit wonder where they go, who's this? Oh, it's <laughs> before they decide whether they look and like it or not. That's absolutely the truth. You know what it is, yeah. and it's great. It's as simple as that. You li- you li- I think it's such an interesting thing, one-hit wonders, you know, more of them. Question mark of the Mysterians, 96 years. I would say, we are, I was arguing on, on Friday... Take the work of the question mark of Mysterians on one hand, and take the work of the Doors on the other hand, they're about equal. Yeah. And the Doors made hundreds of records, question mark, effectively one. Yeah. Uh, Rupert Holmes, uh, Escape, the yeah. Pina Colada song. Yeah. I know it's corny, but corn is a part of pop music, it isn't is. it? It's hugely important. Soul Asylum, Runaway Train. Tanita Tickerham, Good Tradition, great record. Uh, and I'm going to spoil it now by saying Tanita Tickerham continued to make good records and nobody bought them. Very sad. Uh, the Bobby Fuller 4, I Fought the Law. Great song. How did Bobby Fuller die? I don't know. Did he fought the, fight the law and lost? He, he was, he was, he signed a rather unfortunate record deal. And he, he, his management and so forth was, you know, didn't have the best bona fides. And the inquest, I think failed to failed to prove how he died to people's satisfaction. Wasn't he found a car boot or something like that? Was he? Anyway, he'd ingested petrol. Oh dear. Not through his own volition. Well, people have eccentric tastes, you <laughs> never know. But um that that was the you know, the um the theory. That he possibly hadn't wanted to. Wow. Bonzo Dog Doodar Band on the Urban Spaceman, which is of course a masterpiece. The Champs Tequila. The Edgar Winter Group, Frankenstein, single version, and and so it goes on. It's it's all on on Spotify, um, but we got a link to it on the site. And we yeah, have, yeah. please keep adding to it because it's extraordinary. Because it does mean that you can kind of completely redraw the history of pop music, and that it's not about careers, it's not about reputation. It's about moments. It's about moments. It's about instants like that, yeah. you know, and. Um, and we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't look down our nose at uh, bourgeois tag, or brass construction, or black slate, or even Bernie Hill. Uh, Bernie <laughs> Hill, the author of Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. You know, because all these things are part of the extraordinarily rich tapestry of popular music. You say, we've got over 500, you can play for over two days. Keep adding to it. I think we want a thousand. Oh, we do. I think there's also something magical about being responsible for, the, for a one-hit wonder, and 100% of... The things that people get noticed for were, were good. Yes. Unlike another band who may have had 50 hits and everyone knows that three of them were okay. But, you know, who would you rather be? Now, come on, I've got to pick a name here. Who would you rather be? Alabama 3 yep. or Wishbone Ash? Alabama 3. Thank you very much. Right. So, uh, we've now got a bit of a, not quite an outside broadcast, but we've been out and about. We have been out this and about. This week, Fraser, haven't we? 
uh, and we, we kind of partially took the podcast on the road um, because we thought that was the best way to go and talk to Idris Elba. Idris Elba, who will be known to uh, fans of The Wire as the man who brought us Stringer Bell, uh, but also latterly popped up in the, in the series, which I think is just about to be shown in the UK, of The Office, yep, the yep, American yep, Office, where he plays, uh, he plays a relief manager for six episodes brought in there. But he's obviously, he's the hot name in, in acting, in movies and telly, all sorts of things nowadays. But, as ever, his first love is music, and uh, so he's got the opportunity to put out a record under the name of Driss. And we went along with our recording equipment. And Andrew Harrison. And Andrew Harrison. And he started, Idris, by explaining to us what his music was all about. The music is sort of is a hybrid of my tastes. I like a lot of different things. And if you hear the album, it's this, it's this soul element, you know, soul and R&B element. But there's also a sort of reggae element. Right. Um, and, and one of there's a pop element, too, some of it. So, look, a good, a good question. We always ask people in the World Podcast at the beginning is, what music, if any, was in your house when you were growing up, when you were a child? Um, it was a huge... My, my parents are West African, so I heard a lot of African music from the Congolese, you know, um, Francophone-type music, uh, Senegalese music. And then, you know, my dad, he's a, he's a big fan of country and western, so Charlie Pride was right. in my house. And then, you know, also Marvin Gaye's, of course, Otis Redding's. So he brought Charlie Pride from West Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. That, that kind of American country music went there right, and then yeah. came, back. came back. That's yeah. taken a long way around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, then, yeah, and this and is in Hackney. album, yeah, Hackney. Okay, you can see. Can you see the sleeve of the Charlie Pride record? Can you I see can it? I still see it. Yeah. What's it, it called? It, it was called. Uh, what's the album called? I'm not sure, but I remember you sitting on a horse. You know, you don't, <laughs> you don't see very too many black cowboys. You know, you know, he had a sitting on a horse. He had a hat. It's Charlie Pride. You know, it's yeah. a great record actually. And his daughter is a country, country and western singer now. Really? Right. Her name. Yeah. All right. So you had all that stuff going on. What did you have to play it on? Did you have a large radiogram or a record? Uh, yeah, it was Grundig. Mm. Do you remember Grandig? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll find Grandig, I'll make. Yeah. <laughs> they had uh, the Grandig system, which had a radio, a cassette player, and a turntable. And it was one of those turntables where you put it on either 33, mm-hmm. 45, or 78. 78. Mm. Yeah, Not back. 16. Sometimes they had 16. Wow. You know, 16 that was damn set, wasn't it? I, uh, possibly. And, and a two-pence piece on the needle of the record. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah problems with things jumping. So you were interested in music from an early age. Yes. Yeah, but you were involved in DJing and so forth as yeah. a teenager. I understand you were involved in wedding discos. Is this right? Well, you know, I have this picture of Marvin, me holding Marvin Gaye's sexual healing album, and I'm about four years old, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like staring at the turntable, like waiting for my chance to get on it. You know what I mean? And, and like, I was just fascinated with the whole circular thing and the sound and the music. And my dad, you know, used to polish his system. Mm. You know, so there was this love for sort of equipment, DJing music. And my uncle, who um, was a, a DJ for weddings and christenings, especially in a Sierra Leonean community, right. you know, there were a handful of Sierra Leoneans in England in the early 70s, and when they were getting married or having a wedding or a christening, they would yeah. call my uncle. All right. He was the only one that had all the songs <laughs> and all the tunes. And so, you know, me being his nephew, 
We had two sons also, we would go with him. We would have to do the grunt work, of course, lift the speaker boxes, do the wires and all that uh -huh. stuff. And then when he got too drunk, you know, we would take over. <laughs> and I remember I used to always play a song called Disco. Do you remember that song? D-I-S-C-O. Ottawa, yeah. Oh, man, Ottawa, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was written by label. Daft Punk's dad. What? One of Daft Punk's dads co-wrote that record. No way. I think so. Yeah, I remember it was on a 7-inch, it was on a pink label, and that was my favourite record to play. Right. Just, I just like the way it started, and people go oh, get into it. There's no harder game than the wedding disco, though, is there? Oh, no, they are no. a tough crowd. Is yeah. it harder? Is it? I thought, I thought a wedding, everybody's a pushover. A well, 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 no, actually, in America, you know, there's set songs that you play. You have to have them. Yeah. You know, I, I've not done an American wedding, um, but I've been there with DJs that have done them, and there are, you know, you have to play Electric Slide. Yes. Yes, you <laughs> have to play that. You know, um... There's some, there is a few slow jams. I think there's a Luther Vandross you have to play. But in, in England, you know, you just have to have the fun time records. You know, mm -hmm. lots of, uh, like, party kicking songs and so on. It depends, yeah. though, you know. Afro-Caribbean wedding or African wedding, you have to play, like, Calypso, yeah. reggae, you know what I mean? Uh, a little bit of house back in the day. Yeah. So, tell us about being at school. Where do you get to school? I went to school. I started off in Hackney. I went to... Um, you know, my primary school was in, 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 in Haggerston, Laburnum. And then from there, when I was about 10 years old, my, my family moved to Cannon Town, which uh, was traumatic for me because I, you know, growing up in Hackney and then, you know, Cannon Town was... All the way to Cannon Town. Yeah, <laughs> Cannon Town was just like, what? <laughs> and and it, was, it was a boys' school as well. Yeah. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> um, and school was... Um, it was cool. I mean, you know, I, I was a good student. I was uh, a tall lad. So I was always a leader, in mm -hmm. essence. Um, it's funny, one of my friends, I got into DJing at that time, around that same time. But one of my teachers, they had had these two turntables, like one of the most primitive double decks you've ever seen. It was two turntables in a box, and it had one knob for this turntable and one knob for that turntable. And I think his name was Mr. Lefebvre. And Mr. Lefebvre said to me and my mate Boogie, who was a DJ here as well, listen, I don't want this. Do you want this? And we were like, oh, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> and we carried that thing, which was heavy. It was like a tree, basically, with two turntables in it. And we carried that down the Barking Road all the way to my house. And because my mum and dad wouldn't let me have it, I hid it under the bed. <laughs> and Boogie would always come around after school. Hi, Mrs. Alpha. And they'd be like, hey, Boogie, hey, Richard. And we would go to just slide it on. <laughs> really quietly. <laughs> so how did you get into performing at school? Did you start doing this at school? Yeah, I mean, school was, you know, secondary school was where I sort of opened up um, my artistic flair, if you like. You know, drama school, drama class was really my sort of focus into it, into acting and so on. And then, you know, while I was DJing, um, you know, I started, uh, me and, you know, that's where, you know, like England or Europe was sort of like getting into hip-hop and sort of hearing the sounds of KRS-One and all these guys. And I remember we um, we used to, on a Friday night, go around my friend's house. He had a two turntables, he had the mic, and we used to just make songs, you know what I mean? And, that, you know, recording them on a little tape cassette ages ago now. Did you find getting into acting easy? Yeah, I did. Really? Actually, yeah. I mean... In the sense that I didn't go to drama school, I didn't go to, you know, the normal route. I was just really uh, focused on, you know, getting a job. Yeah. I didn't go, when I did, I did a performing arts course, which is two years of everything, singing, dancing, drama. 
and um, and that was sort of my introduction in. And then the the the, the normal route, the traditional route, is to go to drama school. Well, I didn't go that route. You know, I I, I was um, club DJing during the night and then auditioning during the day. Right. And that was my life. And you know, it, it paid off. I think I learned I learned on the job. So singing, dancing, and, and acting. So you're the kind of person that. If you had to entertain as a party or whatever, you you got you got no self consciousness about. I'm not it, sure about. I'm not sure about the dancing. Unless but you, but you, you do. Wanna... You've done it. You, 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 are you a trained dancer? I, I did. I did a little ballet, a little modern or contemporary, as they call it. Right. And I did one of my first um, semi-professional jobs was at the National Youth Music Theatre. We did Guys and Dolls. Who were you in Guys and Dolls? Big Julie from Chicago. All oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's Big Julie's big song? Um... Oh God! Are you involved in the in the oldest established floating crap game in New York? Yeah, that. Uh, Luck be a lady. Um, and uh, sit down. You're sit rocking down. The boat. You're rocking the boat. But what's Big Julie's had a song? I've forgotten what it's called. No, I've forgotten yeah. what it's called. The, the it's listeners wonderful. will be right in with you. <laughs> I think you'll find. Very big on musical theatre, aren't they? No, but you see, it's really interesting. You've got that kind of grounding, though. Mm. And so it must impart a certain amount of confidence that whatever people throw at you, you think, oh, go. Yeah, no, I think, I think I definitely like When it comes to sort of producing music now, playing music now, I'm sort of excited to play everything. I'm sort of excited to try everything. Um, I'm not the greatest singer in the world. I never said I was. And actually... I, this is my second EP. My first EP, EP was more me rapping, more hip-hop, more spoken word. And um, and this particular time, I just said, I'm going to sing these words instead of rap them, you know. Um, again, you know, I, I don't take anything away from, you know, talented artists. But sometimes you get to someone that's really talented, but mm. is afraid to experiment. Yeah. And I'm, you know, you know talented, but I, I don't mind experimenting. So how do you deal with the usual accusation that you're an actor... Edging your way into music using your, uh, you know, yeah, it's prominence a, from acting. Yeah, it's very tough to, um, you know, to, to deal with that head on. Uh, I mean, it's, it, no, it's very tough. And what I do is deal with it head on. At the end of the day, I, um, I know that my roots lie in you know, music as well as acting. Um, I know that I've gained a, a lot of success as an actor, and I know that it's very cliche for an actor to be a musician all of a sudden. <laughs> But at the end of the day, I just let the music do the talking. You know? right. uh, now, you had loads of breaks, but obviously, the, well, it seems to us that the big break was The Wire. Hmm. Do you ever look back on that and think, how did that happen to me? How did I end up there? Um, honestly, you know, the, the, this uh, sort of um, getting into that show was just like auditioning for any other job that I've ever done. And it happened to have come at a time where there weren't too many auditions floating about, so I was really focusing on getting the job. And now it, it's become something else, and I'm not as attached to it. I'm not attached to what it's become as much because I, obviously I left the show four years ago, and 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 of course it's seen a new energy in um, in England and Europe, which I'm just like, whoa, what is this? You know. So what's happening is is now that I'm here doing music, of course, people are like, oh, Stringer Bell trying to sing? Come on, you know. And and that is a little frustrating, but hey, you know. Again, the music will do the talking. Do, do cab drivers shout, hey, Stringer, and so forth? Cab drivers, get... ladies. A lot of oh, ladies. Right. Oh. A lot of ladies. Lady cab drivers. Because <laughs> <laughs> you also appeared in The Office recently. Yeah, in the US version of The Office. Um, yeah. Well, I saw a clip from this yeah. where, where you play a, a kind of manager in there. Mm -hmm. And you have a wonderful line in there where you're talking to a female member of the cast and you say, I'm aware of the effect I have on women. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was uh, was very good at kind of sending up your uh, you know your persona. How did you feel about that? 
Well, um, yeah, interesting. You know, like because he said it as dry as I could, and he and you know he's got glasses on. I don't think he's you know that attractive the character per se. He doesn't think he is anyway. And, but, you know, I just thought it was a very funny line just to say it as deadpan as yeah. possible because all the women in that storyline were sort of really fiending on my character at the time, so it was really funny to play it. Right. And in real life, you know what I mean, um, I am aware. It's a terrible burden. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> just a joke, ladies. <laughs> Don't turn off now. Just going back to The Wire, there's a lot of music around The Wire, isn't there? Mm. And, and, and cast members have their own musical career. Michael mm. K. Williams, Omar, has hip-hop music out, mm. Lance Reddick is a jazz guy. Mm. Did you talk much music amongst the cast? Um, a little bit, here and yeah. there, yeah. Um, Wood Harris, playing Avon, he uh, has a, a music uh, project. Um, oh. I think what happened is is that we were all sort of like, what, you do music too? What, you do music? Oh, okay. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. this is going to, we're going to start a band. Because yeah. <laughs> well, David wire. Simon's very keen on music as well, yeah. isn't he? Mm. So yeah. it goes right through the thing. No, no, we, but we didn't, you know, um, Wood, Wood Harris and I, we definitely, we've got a load of stuff that, you know, in the hotel room we did. Yeah. Sitting somewhere. I can't, I don't know where it is, but we've got a lot of stuff, like a lot of, just me and him rapping, writing songs, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to find that stuff and put it together one day. It's quite a compartmentalised cast as well, wasn't it? Lots of people who you realise don't actually ever meet in the course of the story. Right. Did you socialise much with the, with the other cast members? Um... Lots of bands and things. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. It was a very sort of sporadic um, schedule. So mm. we weren't all together at the same time. But, yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes we would. And Dominic West, who's obviously English, and here I see him a little bit. Yeah. Right. Mm. So you're obviously part of that kind of transatlantic traffic that's not just actors, it's musicians mm. nowadays. That, mm. you, 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 that British actors appear, seem to me to appear more in American TV than they've ever done. Mm. Are they a lot more open to it, you get that impression? Um, I'm not sure, actually. I've never really sort of studied that, that area. I think, you know, I, I, I moved year, I moved 98 before there was sort of an, a big surge of right. actors that were over there. Right. And, I, and when I was there, no one knew I was British, so... You're undercover. Mm. Whereas now you're working in music, in a, in a, in a traditionally an American idiom. Mm -hmm. Taking it back, how do you think the Americans will take to British um, hip hop? British if music, we, if we can I think, characterize it like that. Well, I think British music has definitely seen a, a resurgence in you know in popularity, especially in America. You know, the last time sort of R&B or soul was big in America was from soul to soul. And prior to him was sort of Junior Jiskin. Right. Um, um, and so, you know, now you have the Amy Winehouses, Lily Allens in the world, you know. Um, my music, you know, is, is British in the sense that, you know, it's a hybrid of stuff. You know, which is what we all grew up on, a hybrid of music. The radio would play everything. So what else are you doing musically, Abinili? Any live performance around there? Yeah, um, I have a band called Trampion, and, and, you know, we're going to take this record EP and some new songs on the road in the summer. I'm really looking forward to playing with the band. I've sort of been rehearsing in New York for a while, trying to get my, um, you know, whoosh up. But uh, it's tough, because, you know, I'm, I'm used to being on stage, but only in the theatre, and, you know, when you're singing live and you've got a band and it's all... Very live. It's a different experience. I'm loving it, though. I'm loving it. It's a common cliche in show business. People say, "Oh, we're very busy." You're mm. clearly very busy. Do you know what you're doing for the, you know, pretty much every day of the next year? I have a fantastic team that, yeah, may keep me on the straight and narrow. And I ask a lot of questions. So, yeah, 
I do know. So you from, from music to TV to stage yeah. work, anything like that coming out? No, yeah. no, not in the in the near future. No, I mean this year for me is going to be a hybrid of you know sort of I've got a couple of films coming out, and then I have this EP which going to open up here on February 8th and then in the US we're going to do the whole thing again and then while I'm doing that I'm sort of working on a new set of music which you know I'm going to explore a little bit more um, and uh, just be a little more uh, less because this when I was making this record Mm -hmm. I was sort of very apologetic that I was an actor as well as a musician and it's all over the music I can hear it in the songs I can hear it in the writing I can hear that I I didn't work with anyone else Except yeah. they sent me the music and I'd write on it. And that's because I didn't want anyone to be like, oh, he's doing it. And I didn't want to face them doing that. <laughs> now, this particular, I'm going to work with some better writers. I'm going to work with some new musicians. And I'm going to take it on a little bit more ballsy as opposed to uh, apologetic. Does that make sense? Yeah. Ballsy. What are you listening to yourself? Um, actually, a lot of old school rare groove stuff. Stuff that I DJed back in the day, like really old school um, Benny Goldstein stuff, you know, um, Starview, really old soul, you know. That just that stuff helps me get to my zone. So, if you, if any word readers are interested in in organising a wedding disco, are you available? <laughs> <laughs> I put my wedding DJing days behind me now, unfortunately. But you know, if you want to want to do a high class problems volume one party, we can get out. <laughs> Shameless plug. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So, that's Idris Elba uh, talking about his uh, new record, which is issued under the name of Driss. Very nice chat, Fraser, wasn't he? Good-looking boy, isn't he? Good-looking boy. That was our main conversation in the cab (laughs) coming back, the three of us, was talking about those, those odd occasions where you get to be in a room with somebody who is preposterously good-looking. Yeah, incredibly good-looking. He is. He's tall, isn't he? He's tall. Uh, Which, uh, you know... Very charismatic. Charming. Enormously charismatic. Incredibly charming. Yeah, and and kind of handsome, but absolutely not in the kind of of pretty boy way at all. Um, You know, it's the kind of handsome that, that blokes take to, actually. Yeah. We decided we'd put him alongside George Clooney. Yeah, that most men yeah. fancy George Clooney. And at the end, when I was uh, I was packing away the leaves, and he kind of tapped me on the shoulder and went, "Good job, fella," and shook my hand. And I, I melted. He's yes. <laughs> amazing because the thing that got me was I, I asked him, "Had he found it hard breaking into acting?" Yeah. And he said, "No, no." <laughs> and I can well imagine he yeah. hasn't. You know, no. he's a guy who presumably since he was twelve years old. Yeah. Has been able to. I mean, he's he's an undoubtedly very talented actor, yeah. you know, and, and got lots of things going for him. But that charisma yeah. to walk into a room and make the world do your bit, yeah. <laughs> it must be just remarkable. Absolutely, yeah. because uh, you know they say that. Uh, well, I think Malcolm Gladwell wrote about this quite a lot in a book called Blink, which is about first impressions, and. Uh, and, you know, talk to people who've done lots of job interviewing and auditioning and, and so forth. And in the end, they said, the decision is made in the first minute. Yeah. When a person walks into the room, the person assessing them has decided whether they're a candidate or not. Yeah. Instantly. Now, they then have to work to justify that, have to that good first impression. Yeah. But if you can make that first impression... Yeah. It's absolutely, you know, invaluable. And no, it's just an extraordinary thing, because actors, 
actors are good looking in a way that musicians, even the most even the most handsome musicians, are not at all. It's the thing that I was I was thinking. Well, it's not a requirement, is it? In the same way. For an actor, you have to look good in a certain way to appear good on screen. Well, it's a scale, it isn't, isn't it? It's the scale so, yeah. of the image, you know, because it's such a ruthless... You need to look great when your head is 40 feet tall. And I, 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 totally, you know, you need a regularity of features, yeah. don't you, you know? Uh, although, he, to be fair, you know, you get film stars who aren't... You know, you've got Woody Allen, a very gripping persona on, on, Timothy on screen. Absolutely. You know, they're not all no. fantastically good-looking. But when you come across actors who are well-known for their good looks, you can't help but be struck by them. I've got to tell you my story about Greta Skaki. Go on. This is many, many years ago. Uh, I was working on a magazine. This is probably 84, 85 or something. And one of the members of the staff came from New Zealand. And she said, um, I've got to do an interview with Tim Finn, of, of, formerly of Splatans, as he yeah. was at the time. Um, and uh, uh, for a New Zealand newspaper, do you mind if I do it in the office and the after work? I said, no, fine, fine. So uh, I smoked in those days, and uh, and at the end of the day, I just popped out for a packet of cigarettes and uh, returned to my office, turned the corner in, in my office, not expecting anybody to be there, and there behind the desk. Your desk? My desk. It's Wow. Now, Greetaskaki is a very handsome woman now, but, you know, probably at the time she was, I don't know, about... 26 or something yeah. like that. You know, just about the time of the Coca-Cola kid and yeah. white mischief and all this. Incandescent good looks. Just absolutely astonishing. Larger than life good looks. It looked like, it looked like a Pixar illustration had been, <laughs> had been parachuted yeah. into real life. You know, everything around her looked tawdry by comparison. Yeah. She didn't fit... In the normal world, you know what I mean? Yeah. And what it must be like to to live your life like that. And have that effect everywhere you go. Yeah, although, I suppose, you know, with actors and actresses, they spend a lot of time with people who are equally, yeah, equally true, good yeah. looking. And, um, you know, so they're, 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 they're tested all the time, aren't they? You know? But um, I'm trying to think of other people I've met who are, who are quite that good looking. And I've met... Rock stars are well known for good looks, and they're not as good looking as that. No. They're all slightly rock stars are all slightly geeky, slightly awkward. Actors also have that immense physical grace yeah. and ease and lightness, uh, which rock stars sort of don't have. Well, they, they don't need, they don't require it, do they? It's not part of the job. I, 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 I suppose not. Um, although I suppose as people get more into dancing, you know, I mean that was the really interesting things about Idris, you know, that he, he'd done dancing, yeah. you know, he'd done, you know, that kind of discipline that imparts a huge amount of, of physical control yeah, uh, very early on. Anyway, so uh, also um, other in other social news this week, Fraser Friday night. You and I went out, didn't we? did we? go out, yeah. Tell everybody where we went out. We went to the Lamb Pub in uh, London's Lamb's Conduit Street. In London's yeah. swinging Lamb's Conduit Street. To meet word readers. We did. And there was a lot of them there. There was about 35 of them there, I think, in the end. And uh, it was a great evening out. And I've been to this kind of thing before, where online people who 
only know each other from the internet have met in the real world and it doesn't always work. Oh, really? Why, why doesn't it always work? I'm not sure why it really doesn't always work, but this really worked. It was a really good evening out. I had a lovely time and I think most people, I would hope, did as well. It was great. Because this was organised, this was not, was not our, our organisation no, no, no. at all. Was they, it was organised by... Hannah. Hannah? Uh, did she organise the, the, the previous one? I think she... Because there was a meeting before in Islington, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, with like half a dozen people there. Right. So I think you know, those people tested, oh, the, really? water, tested the water. And so there are only half a dozen first time? Yeah. I was seeing that, because I, I missed the first one, but yeah. I, was, I was there at the second one. Uh, so Hannah organised Hannah organised it, and over 30 people turned yeah. up, and there were, you know, some of them were still there at chucking out time, oh, including you. I right? was there at quarter to 12. Oh, my God, you and there was plastered. There were still people there. We got there at six. Yeah, I know. I was still, you, I was still feeling yesterday. You said no, I'm taking it steady when I offered you a drink about half past six. So you, yeah. you, and you were still there at quarter to twelve. I got bought a lot of drinks. I'd like to thank the people who did. <laughs> so one reader, the MVPS, I think his uh, name is, he bought me two drinks. It was that bad. Because <laughs> the odd thing was that people turn up and mostly with their screen names. They're introduced yeah. with their screen names, aren't they? We all cheered when Captain Underpants introduced himself. <laughs> so what did the... I, I think I must have missed the, 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 the you know, the officer underpants. Yeah. Um, but, so what did you do? You just walked in, stood there, framed in the door at the pub. So. Pretty much. I think there was no other way to go with him, probably. Said, but then, I am. But then he followed it up with his real name and everyone was grateful. Right, right, right. Because I was talking to one person, at least one person, who said they were actually thinking of changing their screen name because yeah. they'd adopted... Some particularly ludicrous and difficult to pronounce I thing. It's clear that I need to uh, to bring in another username amnesty. Yeah, that's what we do that from time to time. So if you if you post stuff on the site and you've when you started doing it, you picked a ridiculous name and you'd like to come out as who you are, yeah. or pick another ridiculous name, uh, Fraser will launch an amnesty. I've got a, we had loads of feedback after the after the night out. People saying how much they enjoyed it, and listen, if they enjoyed it. They're the ones to thank, yeah. you know, because they all got on, because everybody was very generous and completely yeah. pol- hard, polite and welcoming, and, you know, they, it was just a really nice, really nice atmosphere was, in yeah. the place. Uh, but the, the Captain Underpants reports back on what happened afterwards. What does he have to say? Oh, I know what he says, yes. <laughs> he described it as my £500 night out with word. He says, so I got in last night, he sent this on Saturday morning, after the word meet and proceeded to tell my wife all about it. Now, I would say, Captain Underpants, that is, that is pilot error that an officer of your seniority ought to know better than. It's the last thing she wants to hear. It is just literally the last thing she wants to hear. With great gentleness, I this woman is, you know, pearl beyond price. She suggested we put off our little chat until the morning. Did you really frame it in such polite terms? <laughs> On the, I thought, unreasonable grounds that I, that A, I was very drunk, B, I was shouting rather a lot, <laughs> C, it was 1.30am, D, she was still cross with me because I should have spent the evening at film club watching The Diving Bell of the Butterfly. <laughs> th- a, that would have been a different experience. I think you're over eing the P there. <laughs> And then E, she had, until I had fallen merrily through the bedroom door, been fast asleep. Oh, dear. So, determined to exercise my democratic right to blather endlessly at someone, I weaved my way downstairs in search of my laptop to take it out on you lot. But as I went to pick it up, due to some seismic activity, or perhaps a tear in the fabric of time... 
but certainly nothing to do with the generous offers of beer early in the evening from Joe R. and Luna Man and several others. The laptop mysteriously moved six inches to the left so that my hand merely nudged it off the table and onto my foot. Oh, dear. Fortunately, only one of them broke. Which was it, Dave? The nice lady of the insurance company had to put me on hold while she told the rest of the office about the idiot on the phone <laughs> who was asking if this kind of incident was covered. They, they were still laughing in the background when she came back on. That recording for training purposes thing, I think they just made a tape of claims like mine to play at the Christmas party. <laughs> so, he finishes, laptop recommendations, anyone? So it wasn't his foot, it was his laptop. I'll offer a piece of advice uh, that comes from a very, very old Tommy Cooper joke uh, to all gentlemen returning home to the marital home late at night, having, you know, um, having dined and, uh, and thinking about telling the wife anything about it. He said that there's two ways to come home. If you creep into the house, take your shoes off in the kitchen, make your way upstairs really stealthily, avoiding any creaking stairs and get undressed in the bathroom and then slowly slide into bed, she will immediately turn the light on and go, where have you been? Yep. Whereas, if you come in the noisiest way possible, slam the door, watch the telly downstairs for a while, go upstairs singing, fling your clothes off and go, how about a night of passionate love? She'll pretend to be asleep. <laughs> you see, so... Um, I, I, I offer that, you know, from, from, from the late Tommy Cooper. He recommended it. Use it wisely. Use it wisely, you know. But it's probably better than actually going in and attempting to tell a good lady wife about, about an evening out with, uh, with a word massive. But I think this won't be the last of these gatherings, will it? No, there's a provisional date, have been, uh, I believe, has been set for February the 20th. March, 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 yeah. March the 26th. Yeah. So this is, again, there'll be something posted on the website. Yeah. No, listen, it's brilliant that people do this. I was telling somebody from the Guardian newspaper, I said, oh, you organise you organise things for your readers. Our readers do it themselves. Exactly. You know, he was terribly, terribly envious, actually. Um, no, we have, we have thought about other, about doing other things, you know, other occasions for people to meet the team or meet each other. Or, and and there, ha there has been talk in the past about the possibility of doing a podcast live, but I, I'm personally not sure it would work myself. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's a, I don't feel it's a spectator sport. <laughs> you know, um, but anyway, if you've got ideas for other things that we could do, you know, we're 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 very keen to to take those ideas and see what we make of them. There there is actually likely to be in April um, a word gig. Is there? Oh yes. Did you not know? No, I didn't right? know that. Well, okay. Well, okay. I can't reveal who, who's who's top of the bill, um, but we're we're planning to do that at a at a venue near the office, and so that'll be an opportunity for uh, subscribers. Not just any old hobbledy-hoy subscribers to actually come along and, uh, and breast flesh with each other and, uh, and who knows, even Mark Allen and so forth. Um, so uh, what else have we got to cover? Anything else? Any other business? I think that's it. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.